Welcome to Cognitive Surplus, an eclectic podcast featuring real conversations with writers, thinkers, and producers striving to go places yet unexplored. This is episode one. I'm your host, Shrita, Twitter user Sad Moon Analog. Today we have with us Daniel Spitz to talk about interactive fiction. To quote from Dennis Jurs, interactive fiction is computer-mediated narrative, resembling a fine-grained choose-your-own-adventure story in which the reader helps to determine the outcome of the story. Daniel Spitz is an interactive fiction author. His first game, Niney, won an Audience Choice ribbon at the 2017 Spring Thing Festival. His current project is Venian's World, a text-based game with a new kind of parser interface. He is interested in finding new ways to convey inner experience, and he lives in Somerville, Massachusetts. Welcome, Dan. Thank you for joining us today on Cognitive Surplus. I know we've known each other for a number of years, and during that time, I've had the pleasure to attend a couple of your talks on interactive fiction. But for those who are unfamiliar with the genre and with your work, could you talk a bit about what interactive fiction is and share some popular examples that folks may have heard of? I think interactive fiction as a term can refer to a whole lot of different things. The kind that I'm sort of working on is a very particular subset of it. That's this text-based computer game, basically, story game. But I think it's a bit more broad than that. You could arguably say that role-playing games that people play, like Dungeons and Dragons and things like that, would potentially qualify as interactive fiction. There's also things like choose-your-own-adventure books, which is arguably also interactive fiction. And then within sort of the computer game space, there are also a lot more things than just text-based games that qualify. There have been a lot of kind of interesting interactive fiction that I wouldn't say is really text-based at all. Arguably, most video games have aspects of interactive fiction in them, especially particularly popular ones where they have sort of a bit of narrative to go along with whatever the gameplay is. As far as examples, there's, you know, these sort of classic games that came out in the the 80s. So there's like, you know, Adventure and Zork, and these are all uh, these old parser games, these Infocom games. Those all have this kind of standard interface of you're reading some text and you're typing stuff in, pressing enter. Uh, So you're saying go north and press enter and then your character goes north and the game describes to you what just happened. Let's see, more recently we've got Night in the Woods is a pretty cool example of like a a very story-oriented game that's just kind of about, I would say, growing up in a, a crummy rural town in America. And of course, there's a lot more to it than that. There's also Oxenfree, which tells a, uh, an interesting story and is very sort of dialogue-based. It's about characters talking to each other and relating to each other. Yeah, absolutely. I actually really find it interesting that you relay how other video games, even if they're not exactly interactive fiction games, contain this element of interactive fiction. And I'm curious if that comes primarily from there being an element of narrative in the game, or are you considering some level of interactivity as well? Well, I think that actually this this sort of comes to a contention that I have, which is that, so I, I think interactive fiction as a blanket term can mean so many different things. And, and it, importantly, I think it can mean not very good interactive storytelling. I think depending on how you do it, what 
you might call interactive fiction is often really just kind of regular fiction or a story with certain interactive elements tacked on. I think that it's it's quite challenging to and and still hasn't arguably really been solved or explored particularly well. How do I make an interactive narrative that is both narratively compelling and it is actually significant the fact that it's interactive or the interactivity plays a really key role in the narrative itself. Yep, I am actually kind of familiar with some of your thoughts and positions on this matter, and I want to get into that. But before we dive into it, I also would like to know, what is it about interactive fiction specifically that appeals to you? How did you discover it? And why have you landed to where you are now? If I had to describe why it appeals to me, it's something to do with the way that certain kinds of just regular fiction appeal to me. When you write or when, you, when you're reading a really engrossing novel, there's a lot of interesting things that happen inside of your own mind as, as the reader, where you can sort of be taken into the mind of characters within the story. And like, th- there's, there's so much to talk about there as, as far as like, what's compelling about literature? What's interesting about literature? And different aspects of literature, you know, appeal to different people differently. But I certainly feel like for me, a part of it is the clear evocation of internal experiences. I think that literature has a really interesting way of touching on those inner thoughts and feelings and experiences that various other mediums of artistic expression don't always do quite in the same way. It's not to say they can't do it, but they don't necessarily do it in the same way. And I think that adding a layer of interactivity, which we'll, we'll have to break down exactly, you know, what, what, what does that mean? I think it's possible to evoke a very rich set of things that have to do with internal experience and what it's like to be a person doing stuff and thinking stuff and feeling stuff. And I think that the interactivity can can lend it this sense of immersion or perhaps realism, or it can lend you this sense of logical coherence or consistency that makes it feel, I don't know, particularly fleshed out, or maybe just it makes it feel a certain way. If, if I don't want to be overly sort of making value judgments here. I know that you make a distinction between fully automated interactive fiction and interactive fiction, which is not automated. What does that mean? Can you kind of help us break down what that means and what choice and outcomes have to do with interactive fiction? So sure. So the first thing, fully automated versus not fully automated. I I think like there's this whole genre. I I mentioned this idea of like role-playing games, Dungeons and Dragons, and, and that's kind of this transactional thing between two or more people where you have a person who often there's like one particular leader in a, in a, in a, a game playing group who's tasked with kind of being the narrator of a story which is unfolding. And in those cases, I would say it's not fully automated in the sense that the way that the narrative gets built and develops, there's a, a creative, conscious person on one end of it, who's kind of watching the whole thing and is, you know, constantly and critically adjusting things as, as the story unfolds. And that can work really well and it can create a really interesting sense of immersion. And 
I think when you get into fully automated interactive fiction, a lot of that stuff uh, that kind of happens very naturally when you're doing role playing or just kind of like group storytelling or whatever, it becomes extremely hard because we don't really have it down how to how to program a computer, say, to creatively add to a story or adjust it or pay attention to themes or characterizations or, or any of these things. And there's, 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 pl- there, I think one direction you could go in is you could say, well, therefore we need, we need AI to, <laughs> to, to get us there. And I, I think that's sort of a red herring. I, I feel like AI is almost saying nothing just because of how broad a, a blanket term it is. But, but I don't really think that that's like the interesting things that can be done, or at least that's not what I'm focused on. But I am focused on, you know, finding more mechanical patterns, I guess, that let us build interestingly interactive experiences that are primarily sort of focused on a story and are primarily conveyed via text. Absolutely. Maybe you should first kind of break down what happens in these more popular and typical games like Night in the Woods and Oxenfree. I'm kind of familiar with Oxenfree, and I know that there are multiple possible endings that a player can reach to. Maybe you can describe what your current understanding is of why fully automated interactive fiction is this way so far. So yeah, the the general theme that I tend to see with the the, the interactive story games that are getting created uh, and, and that are, are doing decently well and are somewhat popular and stuff is that they all present the player with choices and uh, the player sort of, as the story unfolds, the player is making various choices about what their character does. And those choices then feed back into where the story goes and ultimately how it ends. So there's this really, really core focus on choice and making choices that affect how the story ends ultimately. I think that players find that compelling. Certainly authors find that compelling. I personally think that's a little bit of like a, it's a red herring or it doesn't all need to be like that. And I think that there are interesting things that can be done that don't involve giving the player choices that affect the outcome of the story. And instead, just letting the player kind of experience one narrative interactively and and it, it takes some effort i think to break that down but but in general i think that the whole idea of there needs to be choices in order for it to be interactive is kind of a misconstrual of of what some of the really good things about interactivity actually are exactly and so one of your theses reads the transcendent boon of interactive fiction is not to induce the player to choose between outcomes It is to transmit knowledge to them by creating spaces of actions that they learn to traverse. So I want to sort of focus on this idea of traversal and the transmission of knowledge. Perhaps you can first talk about what transversal is or what traversal is in interactive fiction, why the nature of it is so important, and how exactly it can transmit knowledge. Sure. So... When I use the term traversal, I, I basically, I have this mental model of uh, a, a work of interactive fiction as this kind of big network uh, or like a big graph of 
different little bits of narrative that are all connected together by uh, vertices. And so the act of, say, playing uh, an interactive fiction game is basically corresponds to a walk over this graph. So you'll start at a node and then you'll take actions that move you to another node and another node and another node until you reach some kind of end state and the story's over. This model is like general and abstract to the point that it can describe basically any kind of narrative because it's it's so sort of generic. And, and obviously, you know, in, until you get into the nitty gritty, it's not particularly useful. But for instance, like a non-interactive story, so like a traditional, just fictional story, like a, a, a novel that you read, that can also be represented in this. And all it is, is it's just a linear sequence of nodes, right? So you would start at the beginning of the story, and then maybe, depending on how you want to divide up your narrative units, each, each new paragraph or each new sentence would be another node. And there's precisely one action that you can take to leave from one node and enter the next node. And, it, and all of the nodes form a big line, right? And, and that's sort of like a, non, a non-interactive uh, story. And then there are other models that, are, that also correspond to various just kind of network topologies. So if you're really focused on this idea of choices and choice-based interactive fiction, uh, where you're having the player make a series of choices that sort of affect their journey to the ultimate end of the story, and the ending changes based on those choices, well, that sort of maps to kind of like a big uh, tree, where you start at a root that's sort of just the, the generic beginning, where every player starts. And then each time you make a choice, you're traversing to a different child node in a branch. And as you make this, you know, your, your series of choices, you go from branch to branch to branch to branch until you reach a leaf. And then there you are. I think it's also important to mention that, you know, like the reason I like this metaphor, my background is in computer science and trees and graphs are like sort of a big mathematical structure that, that we're, we're sort of, uh, taught to, to work with a lot, uh, because it, it, it's useful for various kinds of problem solving. Um, and I think it's useful for narratives. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I definitely appreciate your description of how a tree structure certainly maps onto an interactive fiction piece, which has multiple outcomes. That makes a lot of sense to me. And I can imagine that for someone who's sort of creating that sort of game, there's so much complexity to deal with. And I'm wondering if you think that in that process of dealing with so many multiple outcomes, there's something that is getting lost to the creator. And in fact, something that is actually getting robbed from the person who's then going to experience that game because there are so many different possible outcomes to sort of manage and organize and write content for. Yep, absolutely. So I I think that like the the whole idea of interactive fiction must be a series of choices that get you to different, you know, little bits of content that you other, like if you didn't make this choice, then you wouldn't get this bit of content basically. And ultimately you wouldn't get whatever ending it is you wind up getting. I think that that creates sort of like a terrible experience from, from both sides. I, so I, I think from an authoring standpoint, 
it puts you in this unfortunate situation of sort of forcing you to create a whole lot more content than any individual player is actually likely to see in a playthrough of your game. So depending on how many endings there are, that's like how, however many endings you've got minus one are the number of endings that a player in a single playthrough are not going to see in your game. And th- this feels a little bit like absurd. It feels a little bit silly. Like I, I, I think that people who write standard, I, uh, standard novels and fiction, I, I heard it referred to recently as like static fiction not interactive fiction they don't think about it in terms of like what are all the different possible endings they think about one ending and they they're they're constantly asking themselves like how do i make this ending expressive of the themes and you know the the ideas and the meaning that i'm trying to talk about in this story and and i i think that like the the creative authorial process is hard enough with just a single a single line through it. So it's like, are you really trying to solve that problem that many more times? Like just, just exponentially more times for this many more endings? Or are you ultimately sort of going to wind up kind of cutting corners and, you know, having bits of content that the player can find themselves in by via their choices that are not super well written or perhaps like not particularly relevant to whatever thematic you know, scheme it is that the author was actually going for. And so I, I think in that way, it also hurts the player because the player is probably getting a mediocre experience out of the whole thing. And, and then, the, right, the other side of things from the player's perspective, here they are playing this game and then they're presented with a choice. And depending on what kind of game player you are, I know that I'm the kind of player that if I see a choice like that, one of, the, one of my first responses to it is a, like this visceral sense of just kind of anxiety <laughs> and and kind of irritation that that like oh no like now you're going to you're just going to force me to commit to a thing before i necessarily feel comfortable doing that or i don't really know what the consequences of this are going to be but nevertheless here you are making me do it and i instantly just feel this kind of this sort of hypothetical regret for all the things that i don't get to experience just because you're making me make this irreversible choice I certainly empathize with this anxiety that you're relaying. When I play interactive fiction games, I always worry that maybe I, if I make a certain choice, I'm going to have to go down one branch of this tree that I might not necessarily have wanted to go down. But from a devil's advocate position, I can also see how taking away a sense of choice might be insulting to a player's sense of free will or uh, agency over this narrative, it it almost sounds to me that what you're concerned about or interested in with regards to interactive fiction is this fiction narrative component to it. And I'm, I'm wondering how exactly does the interactivity help benefit what you're trying to achieve within this genre? Sure. So, one term that I like to use is uh, tire kicking or kicking the tires. And when we talk about kicking the tires, you want to kick the tires because maybe you're skeptical about the quality of a car before you buy it, right? And, and more, more abstractly, 
that term just can kind of refer to like assuring yourself that a thing in the world works or behaves or exists in a certain way. And you get to go and kick the tires. And after you've kicked those tires, nothing in the world has been sort of inexorably changed. Like it's still all the way that it was before, but you have this more visceral relationship to that thing now. You trust its existence and you understand, you know, the bounciness of that material. And maybe you also understand uh, something about what kind of body you have with your feet and your legs. You're kicking these tires. You can kick things. Maybe it hurts. Maybe it doesn't. I don't know. Um, And I think that rather than than have, have it have to be like... You, every source of interactivity uh, constrains the future things that your character can do. I think that interactivity can just, it can just be a form of kicking the tires. So it's just a form of exposition is, is another way of thinking about it. Um, it's, it's a way of sort of experiencing a narrative from the inside rather than from the outside is sort of an, another way of, of potentially describing it. Um, and, and I also want to say, like, when when you read a, a a traditional piece of fiction, like like a novel, um, I think that if the novel is well written, you don't necessarily get a sense of uh, I don't know of of it, it doesn't necessarily feel like an affront to your free will if the main character in a novel is taking certain actions that maybe you wouldn't take if it was you in their position. Um, and that's because there's this implicit contract like between you know, the reader and the author that, okay, it's not me here, it's, it's this character because the author is telling me a particular story. Now, of course, it's still possible to like, disagree about whether, say, the, the, the title character would do that based on what you know about them already. Um, but I think that's sort of, that's the right framing of that kind of thing is, is that's the, the, the sort of the critical framing where you're thinking about like, would this character do that? I don't know. I don't know if I buy this rather than I wouldn't do that. And therefore, you know, this is wrong or this is uh, an affront to me because I think, you know, in general, people can understand when somebody does something that they wouldn't exactly do. And there's a lot to that. There's a lot to just kind of putting yourself in the mind of somebody else. And, and, and I think letting an author take you there is, is like a really big part of what makes fiction interesting. Just want to sort of explicate the idea of tire kicking a bit. If you can just maybe give an example of what that looks like. Say to give some example. Um, and, and this is actually, this has been around for a super long time in parser games where you can, you know, examine everything that gets described as being inside of whatever room you're in. So let's say that you're in a room and there's a desk and on the desk is a, uh, a key, let's say. This is sort of real traditional parser game stuff. You as the player can then examine the desk and you'll get a little description back that says... It's a, uh, it's a dark, uh, heavy wooden desk sitting in the middle of the room. Cobwebs hanging off of its sides. On top of the desk is uh, a key. 
And then you can examine the key and it will tell you what the key looks like. It'll say a small silver key sits on the desk, strangely shiny amid all the dust or something like that. And you can leave the room and you can come back and you can examine the desk again and it will repeat exactly what it just told you about the desk and you can examine the key again. It'll tell you exactly what the key looks like again. And you can sort of repeat yourself a little bit and you can examine almost anything that gets described to you in the game. Sometimes the result of doing that examination doesn't really tell you all that much that's you know particularly important. Um, but what it does do is it reassures you that this is a world with affordances that include the ability to examine things, right? And in the same way that kicking the tires tells you something about the world that you're in. This is a world that where in, in which you have the ability to kick tires on things, right? It tells you something about you and your relationship to the world and the world, even though there's nothing super significant that actually comes back and happens. Um, it's all there to, to sort of, uh, reinforce the regularity of the world for the player so that they feel a little bit more confident, a little bit more at home, and they get this sense that they're like part of this system. Um, and I think that can be really important. That's a, re- that's a really great example. I, I enjoy how there isn't really a clear consequence in actually doing that sort of examination or interacting with the world. I'm really pleased to hear sort of about the system nature of how including tire kicking into your piece sort of just makes it seem more real. And I also actually kind of think it's important to maybe clarify what exactly you mean by an affordance, since people may not be familiar with that. Ah, sure. So like, yeah, an affordance is a bit of lingo that comes out of like UI design or at least that's that's what I know it from. And it's really just kind of like, it's an action that is available to you or to the user or the player that is provided by some piece of the world. Tires afford kicking. You know, objects that exist physically in the room you're in afford examination. Um, and, and generally, a, war, a, a world that has affordances like this is a world that feels sort of systematically real or consistent. Exactly. And I kind of want to now, you know, switch a bit to talking a bit more about Venian's world and what exactly you think it is that you're sort of trying to achieve with that. I noticed that your character has a lot of internal dialogue and the sort of affordances that are built into that demo include actions like scrutinizing. So I'm sort of curious about if you were intentionally trying to create more of a system that deals with the internal world, and if so, do you think that's something that has kind of been explored in the past? And what exactly do you think that you can achieve by doing that? So yeah, this is this is right. This is what I'm super excited about right now. Um, so in Venian's world, uh, I've tried to make kickable tires, but the the tires and the kicking are kind of all sort of internal, you know, mostly mental thought process type actions. Um, because I think that, you know, especially now, we, we when we talk about what it's like to be us and, and when we talk about what it's like to think about things, 
we talk about it in a sort of process-oriented way, oftentimes. So when you scrutinize something, especially a thing that's sort of abstract, like not necessarily a physical object, when you say, when you scrutinize your relationship with somebody, what does that mean? That means sort of looking at the facets of that relationship. So asking yourself about how, how am I doing with this person? What's our relationship like? What's the status of it? How do I feel when I think about this person? How does this person feel about me? Uh, what's our history together? Things like that. And, and so in a lot of games, often still story games, the, the affordances that the player has had have been largely physical affordances. So like you're literally kicking a tire, you're literally moving an object around in the physical world, or you're swinging a sword or you're hitting somebody or whatever. Um, and I think that one of the sort of the interesting and arguably sort of unrealized potential directions you could take interactive fiction, especially text-based fiction, is that you can talk about these non-physical internal mental actions that I contend are quite mechanical in nature. They're often hard to describe, and they're often, I think, incorrectly described, or, or they're the certain mechanics are attributed to them that are not really exactly how they work. But nevertheless, I think that they're sort of mechanical, and they're system-y, and they kick back when you kick them, and it feels a certain way. Um, and it's all sort of reliable and part of a system. And I think that text-based interactive fiction is, you know, arguably this, this really good medium for exploring that kind of thing, this, this sort of mechanical internal experience. Absolutely. And, you know, I, I have taken a couple of fiction writing courses myself in college, and I get the sense that there's such an emphasis on the external world, the characters, the world, the objects of the story that a, a character actually can interact with. So to hear that you are concerned with the non-physical mechanics of the mental world is extremely interesting and I am really curious to hear a bit about how you balance creating a sense of narrative despite talking about experiences and objects that are just so internal. So the question is sort of like, when you're that internal, how do you tell a story? Exactly. So I, I think that there's actually like, it, it strikes me as that, that's a huge part of, of what makes certain stories compelling in the first place, even non-interactive ones. Um, like a really well-written novel will explore the, the sort of the inner world of, of its characters. Oftentimes it'll sort of focus on the inner world of one character in particular, and it will talk about their memories of things or their motivations or like just what they're thinking about in response to whatever is happening to them. And when it, when it happens, when it's written well in a novel, like what a character is going through on the inside, I think people almost don't necessarily notice it, like it, it because it feels so natural and because it can be really, really engrossing. And, and I think that like, why not move, you know, our, our, our sort of our interactivity into that realm too. And, and I think like, if it's done right, then hopefully the act of playing through it will actually just feel really natural. Like 
you, you won't even feel uh, this is this is super weird or, or, or anything like that. And instead, it'll just feel like, oh, yeah, of course. Of course, I can scrutinize my relationship with this person. Like, I do that all the time. I know what that's like. And, and, I, and I think, like, if you write a story that's focused on people and how we relate to each other and how we make our choices and, you know, like how we feel, I, I think that that stuff is often compelling in its own right, um, especially if you if you want to talk about, you know, a certain kind of way in which relationships fall apart or, or start or a certain, a, a certain way in which people can, can be hurt or people can grow or, or any of these things. I, I think there's a, there's a lot to, to explore there. And, and traditional writers have been exploring it for centuries. Absolutely. And do you think that there is also a component of expressiveness? And when you actually go ahead and craft a demo or a game, do you find that your own experiences in your life actually go ahead and inform the sort of character that you're creating? Oh, absolutely. Like my own experiences, um, I consider myself to be an introvert and I have a very particular kind of inner experience. Um, And I think that as time has gone by, uh, I think one of the interesting things that I've noticed and perhaps begun to suspect is that a lot of my internal experiences are not particularly unique. There are aspects of them that are arguably sort of universal and talked about in the right way. I think a lot of them can resonate with other people. And it's also sort of, I think that perspective also helps me in interacting with other people or trying to understand other people or trying to sort of imagine what it's like to be them, taking this, this implicit stance of their inner experience is implicitly comprehensible to me. It must be. I think that that sort of makes it much easier to get to know a person and to develop a good mental model of them. Yeah. And and do you think that this sort of work, if done successfully through not just by yourself, but through other interactive fiction authors and creators, if it will kind of seem to have insights or benefits in more practical realms, such as just in like therapy or psychology or something like that? I'm, I'm curious if you ever thought of it in that way. Yeah, I, I definitely have. Like, with I, I've described sort of what I'm after to say people in the field of like uh, clinical psychology, for instance, or people in the field of like education. And I've gotten lots of feedback to the effect of, you know, like if you set this upright and you sort of mechanized certain inner thought processes in a certain way, you'd be able to say, convey certain things for people who, so like, say, say people who like have trouble reading other people based on body language or how their voices sound. You could set something up that sort of teaches you what the inner experience of reading those things is like and potentially helps walk people through the process of mentalizing others and thinking about it in that way. And, and so I, I, that wasn't sort of my initial direction I was, I was coming at it from, but it sounds really interesting. And and I think in general, you could potentially convey how to think through a certain kind of problem. It it could be a totally just sort of an educational tool, potentially. And and I know that like 
let's see, I, I know that there are educational games and there are also novels that are written with the purpose of exploring particular like organizational problems um, that have been, say, like commissioned on behalf of some organization. I'll write a piece of speculative fiction that sort of walks through how an organization would respond to a certain scenario. Um, and I think this is probably, you, you could think of it as similar to that. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I can't help but think that some aspect of the narrative beauty, which comes just in thinking of it in a game scenario, would be lost in those applications. What do you think of that? Oh, I definitely, I agree. And, and like, I, I think that in a sense I'm developing... I, I don't want to call it like a new medium entirely because I think that I'm I'm like I really am just kind of taking the the whole parser game medium and I'm developing it in a particular direction. But I think that with any new medium, it's possible to do a whole lot of things. And depending on what your goals are, you can make make a thing that you know fulfills that goal that won't fulfill a whole other goal. And my goal ultimately is to tell certain stories that I think I really want to tell just like as a, as a storyteller, it is definitely a, my, my core goal is to use this as a creative outlet for myself to tell compelling stories or to create compelling games, uh, whichever you prefer. Yeah. And for those who don't know, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, Dan, I recall that you actually left your full-time job in favor of focusing entirely on interactive fiction. I'm, I'm wondering if you could share maybe what that process was like to actually make that choice. I left my job uh, about roughly four and a half months ago now. Um, so prior to that, I had, I had been working on this project on the side, and I had become fairly frustrated that I couldn't really make good progress on it. A lot of my you know, time and mental energy and stuff were taken up at my job. And I started thinking about things. I was hitting a point at my job where it felt sort of like maybe I should start looking for other things anyways. And this project that I felt passionate about for years now was there, I felt like I was, I was in this position where I could take the opportunity to like actually try to just work on this and just dedicate myself fully to it for some amount of time. Like I have, you know, enough money that I, I can actually take some time off without really getting any income and really try to see this thing through and see where it goes and learn a whole bunch in the process, you know, actually contribute something to this genre that I feel is important. And it was not an easy decision to make. I, I think that like there, there's, there's a lot of cultural norms certainly working against you if you like are thinking about going off and doing some creative thing that may or may not ever actually prove successful. So there, there are a bunch of sort of voices in the back of your head that are saying, this is dumb. Like there are so many people who want to do something like this who all fail and like, why do you think you'd be any different? I, I think that having worked, you know, in like the, the software and machine learning industries for about 10 years prior to doing this, I think I've, I've learned a couple of things. So I've, I've established to myself that I'm able to execute on projects pretty independently. And I've, I've learned a lot of sort of the technical chops that I need 
to be able to do something uh, that's a potentially big technical undertaking and actually execute on it. Um, and I've also noticed the ways in which I'm potentially frustrated by like what it's like to be in a more traditional corporate organization and, and just sort of the, the way that decisions get made and the way that your accomplishments feel and the way that things kind of feel more, I don't know, localized or impersonal or um, just not necessarily quite as hefty or weighty or really touching you deeply when you when you're working at a company and you're the the bottom line of the company is really what you're after i sort of felt like uh i'm at a point in my life i'm 30 years old so like now is probably the right time to do that uh to to take a risk like this so here i am yeah no super congratulations to you dan i think that's really awesome i hope that for anyone who's listening and considering making that risk themselves, they'll sort of benefit from hearing about your experiences. Of course, people can find your work at veniansworld.com. I'll be posting a link to that demo. I have just one more final question, I guess, a bit more about your process. I I have to say, Dan, I'm really impressed by how much work goes into creating this sort of thing. It's not just writing a piece of fiction. It's also, from what I know, um, creating your own parser and sort of balancing the technical aspects uh, against kind of the creative aspects of it. And maybe you can just talk a bit about how you sort of manage that and if you feel like they go hand in hand. Yeah, so it's definitely challenging. It can definitely be challenging to, to get that right because there is absolutely a particular pitfall where it's it's sort of like creatively I decide I want something, but technically that's maybe really difficult or potentially out of reach. Or on the other hand, sometimes I, in order to solve a technical problem, it becomes necessary to become so engrossed in, in solving it and, and just sort of programming through it or like just thinking logically about how to do this potentially mundane or like not very relevant to your creative purpose thing that you can kind of lose sight of your creative purpose. It can then take some time for you to decompress and step back and kind of remember like, why am I actually here? What am I actually doing here? It's big enough that I can't necessarily keep all of the parts of it in my head all at once. And so a skill that I've had to acquire is sort of this context switching, switching between the sort of pragmatic technical work and the, and then there's, you know, breaking down the creative work into both pragmatic things and then loftier things and maintaining this, this overall sense of deep purpose and vision, I think, I think is also an important thing, but it can't dominate because then you'll never actually get anything done. And, and sort of, learning the, the, the nuances of, of how to switch between contexts well, and, and also how to just sort of like be patient with yourself if you're stuck in like one mode, but you really shouldn't be in that mode right now. And just learning to just kind of accept that that's where you're at and you kind of need to take some time, take a break potentially, or have some faith that you, you will come back. You'll, you'll come back around and you'll see it from the other perspective again. That's been challenging. and really educational and sort of mind expanding. And, and, and I think anybody who like is trying to like fully execute on something 
is probably going to have to come up against something like that. Just, just this idea of like, there are going to be a whole lot of things that don't, are not going to feel qualitatively like they are aligned exactly with your, with your true purpose, but you still need to, you still need to do them and you need to like be okay with like losing that feeling for a bit. Um, and you, and, and I think also like acknowledging that that feeling ultimately is really important. Yeah, no, that was, that was so beautifully said, Dan. I, I definitely can appreciate the sort of organizational challenges that come along with undertaking a project of this magnitude and sort of having to delegate and put some information out there in a sort of external working memory um, and how important it can be to just remember the original intent and purpose behind your work to kind of help guide you when things are a bit tricky and challenging and you sort of just have to deep dive and apply yourself on just some very technical aspects. Thank you so much, Dan. This was a true pleasure. Feel free to please, you know, share any final thoughts you have. Sure. Thank you so much, Srita. This has been really great. This has been a really interesting experience. I haven't actually shared my thoughts in this format before, and it was uh, it was fun. Um, I, I think one thing I would like to say is that um, I guess I want to say that we have a responsibility to give the world better tools for thinking about what is going on. <laughs> yeah. Thinking yeah, about yeah. Uh, meaning and purpose and understanding what the hell <laughs> is actually happening and parsing through stories and understanding yourself and understanding the people around you and, and, and all these things. It is a, an important problem, and if you feel passionately that you understand something that you think other people don't, I, I think it's like it's a responsibility for all of us to to like get better at conveying those things and giving other people the tools that they need to to think better and to feel better and and all of these things. So go out and 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 do it. I think it's valuable. Yeah, awesome, Dan. Everyone, this is Daniel Spitz, uh, venianceworld.com. Thank you so much, Dan. <laughs> <laughs>